All right, good morning. It's good to see you on campus this morning, and thank you to those who are joining us online as well. If you are new to our church, then we are so glad that you're with us, whether that's on campus or online, and we would love to know who you are. I would encourage you to text the word CONNECT to the number you see on the screen, and one of our staff members will follow up with you this week. If you are new to our church, then I am not normally wearing this sling. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I broke my arm, so it is what it is. Uh, for those of you who have said and accused my wife of doing something to me, I just want to say that she is incredibly insulted by that because it would be much more severe based on her toughness and intelligence. That is probably inappropriate to say right there. But um, let me take the attention off of my arm onto something else, and that is to our Send Sundays. The next two weeks, we are celebrating God sending uh, people out into the mission field that he has for them. Two weeks from now, on May 30th, we will be celebrating and commissioning our graduates. We don't just want to recognize them for making it through high school, but we believe that God is sending them somewhere strategic uh, to be prepared, but also to be on mission for him, and so we want to pray for them as a church family. That's two weeks from now on May 30th, and then next week, Sunday, May 23rd, our Anchor Church family will be joining us in both services, and we will be praying for them, challenging them, and showing them our love. Their core group is meeting right now, and there are about 55 to 60 of them. 30-something of them have come from this church family to go and help start that work, and so we just rejoice at the opportunity to be a part of that, and we want to pray for them and send them off well. Both of those Sundays will just have a 9.30 and 11 o'clock service. That probably doesn't affect you too much. However, we do want, and we are inviting and there will not be children's ministry for first through fifth grade during the 9.30 hour because we want them to see uh, this. We want them to see this, and we want them when they're older to, and they're a part of a church, and they're shopping around for churches, to remember being a part of a church that sent 30-something people to plant a new church, and to be remember being a part of a church that believes that graduates are called to be on mission. And so they'll be with us in service next week week. All right. Well, today as we continue in our series, He is Greater Than I, we're going to be reading through some verses in Mark chapter 1. And as we do this, I want us to, I want us to put ourselves in the crowd around Jesus. You see, in the crowd around Jesus were people like us. There were some that wanted to follow Jesus. They believed He was Lord, and so they were looking to say, what do you want us to do? We are going to do it. There were some who they thought that he was God, but they really were trying to learn more. They were interested. They, they saw his power, so they were kind of hanging around to figure out more about it. There were some who really just, you know, it caught their attention. It was something that might help, but the reality was they would not continue to follow him. And there were some who were really looking to live for themselves, and they were waiting for a moment to discredit Jesus, just as many of us fall into those categories today. And so as we walk, walk through these passages today, we're going to see what the rhythms of Jesus were. Now, the rhythms of Jesus are really all throughout the scriptures, but we particularly get insight into the ministry of Jesus here. So I'm going to read Mark chapter 1, verse 29 through 45. It says, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. 
Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Pray with me. God, as we open your word together this morning, I pray that your spirit would speak to us, that you would open our hearts to hear from you. God, that I would decrease, that everyone in this room would decrease, and that you would increase. And as my friend, Pastor Chris at Mana opens up your word, I just pray for them that you would strengthen him. God, I pray for them in their time of staff transition, and I pray too you would get glory. God, I pray that you help us to see that our world is much bigger than just the things we see around us. And God, we don't have all the answers, as was said earlier, but you are the answer. So God, I pray as we look to what you have to do and say for us, God, that it would radically shape who we are. Maybe perhaps radically different than when we walked into this building today. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want us to see about the rhythms of Jesus' life, about the ministry of Jesus, is that Jesus is intentional about the mission. Jesus is intentional about the mission. If you look at verse 29, it says, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Again, Mark references Jesus' intentionality with the word immediately. Now, what had happened before this, what we talked about last week, is Jesus healed the man with the unclean spirit, and the crowd grew. And the crowd grew, and it became a distraction to the ministry of Jesus, so they left to go to Simon's Simon Peter's house. Jesus' purpose was to preach the gospel. If you look at verse, what 30, verse 38 shows us, it, it emphasizes this for us. The crowds are growing again later in verse 38, and Jesus says this, verse 38. He said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. What we have to believe here is that in some cases, Jesus saw the crowds as distracting from his preaching. He saw the crowds as, as distracting from his ministry. He saw the crowds as distracting from his purpose. And when they did, when the crowds did distract from them, he went elsewhere. 
Now, Luke's gospel shows this as, as well with a little more detail. I'm going to read Luke chapter 4, verse 42 through 44. Luke says, When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus was on mission. That's why Jesus came to this world was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And he did not want the crowds to distract him from that purpose. This is in contrast to how many pastors, many church leaders, many churches view ministry today. We always think that bigger is better. We always think that the higher the numbers, the more successful we are because we've ascribed to, you know, what Western success really is. And so we build a crowd at the expense of the gospel. We build a crowd at the expense of really teaching what Jesus was about. And so maybe we even build hype and we find out what excites people and it distracts us from the mission of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus doesn't say that he's against healing, but he is saying that his primary goal here is not to build a hospital. Jesus does not say that he won't cast out demons, but he does say that he isn't setting up a tent for weekly exorcisms. Jesus doesn't say that he's against further study with this crowd, but he does say that he's not going to keep having popular Bible studies when the gospel is not being preached to people in the next town. Jesus says, this is why I am here. I have places to go and people to preach to. Preaching the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God, which we talked about a few weeks ago, the good news of the kingdom of God is that the time is fulfilled, what they've been looking to in the Old Testament is fulfilled, that the kingdom is at hand, that Jesus is within reach. So repent and believe in the gospel. That's why Jesus did the things that he did, was to get that message to as many people as possible. Practically and philosophically speaking, Jesus did not want the focus of his ministry to be anything other than that. Wayne Cordero, who's a pastor in Hawaii, he's really sacrificing for the gospel there, uh, has, uh, articulates very well what he calls four quadrants of action. And so it, it, we have a diagram that shows you what he says are the four quadrants of action. And basically he's saying all of us are functioning acting upon one of these quadrants. Our desire should be in to be in the quadrant of intentionality, where we have purpose and the things we do are done with intentionality. But he said, you know, some of us will kind of act on our own as well, but maybe more in independence. And so we won't necessarily be as intentional as we should be. We're focused more on just doing uh, what we think we should do. But then on the other hand, there's more people-focused things where we might be reactionary, or we might be uh, operating under conformity. So to, to illustrate this, I'll use social media. A lot of people get on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and their goal is um, to stay connected with other people and maybe to you know help people learn the truth and, so, and maybe share pictures of their cats or whatever. And so they, they get on social media and that's their goal, but then they get sucked in 
right? And so they begin to see all the craziness that gets posted and said and shared, and they become reactionary in the things they say and do instead of being as intentional as they originally intended to be. Or maybe it's on the other side of things where they begin to just kind of conform to how everybody else views social media and uses social media. Or, or maybe they're just kind of doing their own thing and so they no longer are, into, are intentional. It's more about just, you know, how they feel in the moment. Another example would be parenting. I mean, as parents, we should be intentional and we should be acting intentional, with intentionality. Now, I will say that we don't always do this, and there are times to be reactionary, but we want to stay as much as we can in intentionality. But our children do things and say things, and it's hard not to react instead of being as intentional as we should be. It's hard not to look at the way the rest of the world parents and to conform. It's hard not in the moment to just act independently, because if we're really intentional, we're always learning from other people who've parented already. And when it comes to our decision-making, all of the decisions we make in our life, again, as much as we can, should be with intentional decisions we're making to honor God and to, to make you know, our path go in the direction that we believe he wants for us. But we tend to kind of react to situations or maybe begin to think independently and not be intentional, leaning to others and looking to God and wisdom. Or maybe we just conform with our lives. And, and what Wayne Cordero would say is that Jesus functioned in intentionality. I mean, yes, you see some reactions of Jesus. I mean, you don't really see conformity, but you do see, you know, maybe adaptation. We really don't see independence because he's always leaning to God. And he was that way about his life and mission. And we too should be that way about our life and mission. We should be trying to live our lives for the purpose of God as much as we possibly can. And that's what Jesus was doing and why he went where he went and why he spent the time he spent. And even if you look at the life of Jesus, if we're following Jesus and we're in the crowd and we want to learn from Jesus, he calls disciples to learn closer from him. He had his 12 and he had his 70 and they learn from him. And what does he do with them? He teaches them to live on mission. He equips them to live on mission. And ultimately, if we're living for Jesus, then we should begin to live on mission. Because if we're following Jesus, we learn that nothing matters to him or nothing matters more to him than people seeing the kingdom of God. If we're really following Jesus, we're reading the Bible, we're trying to be like him, what we are going to learn is that nothing matters more to him than people seeing the kingdom of God. Now, when we begin to experience some success and our ego begins to be built a little, built up a little. It's very easy to get distracted from the fact that we should be living on mission for Jesus so that people would see the kingdom of God. When we find love and acceptance from someone who maybe isn't pointing us in, to live our lives this way, it's very easy to become distracted from living with this kind of intentionality. When we get to a place of comfort and security, it's very easy to forget that we should be living intentionally for Jesus on mission. And even when we don't have those things and we're comparing ourselves to other people who have those things, it's easy to get distracted from living our lives on mission for Jesus. But what is this series called? He greater than I. We must constantly be aware that he is greater than we are 
And therefore, what he wants for us is better than what we want for us. And so we live our lives for following him the way he's called us to live. We live sent lives because God sent Jesus into the world for us. So Jesus was intentional about the mission. Let's read on, verse 38. Verse 38 says, and he went throughout, excuse me, verse 39, and he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So as they go on to another town, he first and foremost is preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and he starts in the synagogues. That's kind of the pattern that Jesus follows and Paul follows. The crowd builds in the synagogue. It becomes too hard to preach in the synagogue, and he goes and begins to preach with those who are receptive to the message. And so that's the primary focus. That's what's listed first here by Mark. But it also says he was casting out demons. So Jesus was intentional about the mission, but Jesus is present in the interruptions, I'll put that in quotes, I can only do it with one hand. Jesus is present in the interruptions of needs. Jesus is present in the interruptions of needs. Jesus cares about our problems. And there are two examples given in our passage here. The first is Simon Peter's mother-in-law, verse 30. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. So he goes here to get away from the crowd. And as he's there, Simon's mother-in-law, who lives there, has what would be called a heavenly fire. It's just not a slight fever. It's a serious fever. Many have said, who can extinguish the heavenly fire? These high temperatures were the signs of sicknesses, and, and people would eventually die from this. And so this is going on, and it says in verse 31, he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So Jesus is preaching. That's the purpose of what he's doing. And he doesn't do what he does here with everyone he encounters, but he does heal her because of this need. Now, quick point, what did Simon Peter's mother-in-law do with her health? What did she do? She served him. When you pray that you would be healthy, is it so that you would serve him? Or just so that you would feel better? Or be healthy? I think that's a very indicative of who we're following and what we're living for. So actually in this text, it says that she's serving him, but a strict rabbi would have prevented her from serving because they would have believed that she needed to, you know, be separated because she had been unclean. But he lets her begin to serve. Verse 32 says, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So many men may be confused about Jesus's identity, but never demons. Matthew gives us a little more insight here when he's writing this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. He says, when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses 
and bore our diseases. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Isaiah 53, verse 5 will say that we are healed by his wounds. What Matthew is saying is Jesus was healing to show who he was, to show the glory of God. Jesus heals to show God's glory. When you're praying for healing, are you praying that you would serve and that God would get glory, or are you just praying that you would be better? I think this is indicative of our purpose and what we're living for. Now, Jesus goes on to the next town because he's healing here. The crowds are coming to him every night. He can't preach the gospel, so he says, I need to go on to the next towns. Verse 38, we read that a moment. And what we find is we find a second example of Jesus being interrupted and him being present in the interruptions. And this is with a leper, verse 40. Verse 40 says, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and would be a number, what they call leprosy, would be a number of different diseases today. It's often associated with Hansen's disease. That's, yes, that's true, but there are also other diseases today that would have been called leprosy back then. In the Old Testament laws, there are actually four different kinds of leprosy with different instructions for each of those kinds of leprosy. If you had leprosy, you were called unclean. You would be sent out of the camp. Some of them would be sent out of the camp, the migrant community of Israel forever. Leviticus chapter 13 and verse in chapter 14 give instructions on how to deal with leprosy if you're ever excited to read about that. And so lepers were considered unclean. They were cut off from the community at large. And what would have to happen is a priest would have to go out to a leper to see if he was now clean. So for a leper to walk through this crowd up to Jesus is socially inappropriate. It's offensive to the crowd. Not only did you have the laws related to lepers, but what had happened in the society is they'd begin to really look down upon lepers. Rabbis would say that it was as difficult to heal a leper as it was to raise a man from the dead. And so many of them did not want to have anything to do with the possible pronunciation of these lepers as unclean. They become very unloving. In fact, tradition says that one rabbi would throw stones anytime a leper would come near a community and say, go to your place and do not defile other people. They didn't try to see if they were now clean, and they used law. They twisted the scripture to justify not trying. They weren't even following the instructions in Leviticus 13 and 14 because of their self-preservation. So this man walks to the crowd, and he walks to Jesus, and he implores, Mark says. Luke says he begged. He is desperate. Luke says that he fell down on his face. That's a sign of submission at the feet of Jesus. He recognized Jesus's power and authority. Now, this man is not healed, and I want you to realize how difficult it was for him to get down on the ground. I mean, with a broken arm, it's hard for me to get down on the ground and get back up. And so imagine having this disease. But what we see here, we see a model for prayer. The desperation, 
the humility. But imagine this is you. Imagine this is your spouse. Imagine this is your child. And they feel like they have no hope. And you come through this crowd, breaking all the social rules, bowing at the feet of Jesus. And the text tells us, Jesus felt something. Verse 41, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Jesus loved him, is what this text is telling us, and said he needs to be touched. And so he touched him. This man was used to people running from him, and Jesus touches him, and he's made clean. Jesus says, I will be clean. Verse 42 says, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. He was healed immediately. And in that day, again, a priest would have to pronounce you as clean. And so Jesus is saying, go and prove your cleanness. Go and let a priest see you. And verse 45 says, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. But that was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, sometimes we get hung up on this as church people because that's what we do here, right? We get hung up on the fact that, oh, look what he did. He didn't do what Jesus said. I like what the preacher J. Vernon McGee says. The Lord told him not to tell anybody And he told everybody, the Lord tells us to tell everybody, and we tell nobody, let's not focus on his disobedience. But you see what happens here? This man is considered unclean. The religious leaders, the religious crowd looks down on him because of his uncleanness. And Jesus touches him and heals him. And now the religious crowd looks down on Jesus. Jesus switches places with the leper. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus does for us. He switches places with us. And Jesus doesn't put us in our place. He puts himself in our place. When we come to Jesus unclean, in need of healing, Jesus doesn't put us in our place. He puts himself in our place. And if we are Christians and we're following Jesus, and people come to us because their life's a wreck, because of their own doing or other doing, we don't put them in our place. We put ourselves in their place. That's living out the gospel. 
It's touching people who are unclean so that they might be considered clean. We as the church are the proverbial bird body of Christ. And when the hurting come to us, we need to be moved with pity and heal them and touch them. We need to be present in the interruption of needs. As the people of God, we see needs and we meet them. And so I want to paint a picture for what our lives should look like here. Because Jesus was intentional about the mission and he was present in the interruption of needs. And so I'm just, I'm giving you my perspective on this for our context, but we should be people who are intentional in our homes. Our desire for our spouse, our desire for our children, if we have them in our home, or maybe they're outside of our home, is to serve them and to love them. Not always be looking out for what we want, but what they need and encouraging them in their walk with Christ. We should be, if we have children in our home, equipping them, teaching them in and, and, and school and all the other things, life lessons, so that they can be further equipped and have more opportunities for the gospel. If, they, if we are involved in things in our community, and we should be involved in our things in our community, we shouldn't be disengaged, dropping our children off or paying people to do things, but we should be engaged. We should be serving however we can. We should be present in our neighborhood, getting to know people, seeking opportunities to, to point them to who Christ is and what he's done for them. And we should be a part of a biblical community that strengthens us as we do this. And we should not, and I'll say this, should not just come and sit in chairs for two hours. We should be engaged, involved, serving and to meet the needs of our church. Whether it's in children's ministry or student ministry or the tech team or worship team, how can I be a part of what God is doing here? And then as our church reaches out into the community, how can I be a part of that? And I want to do well in all the things in my life and serve people well, not be a taker in my job or anywhere I go. And things are going to constantly come up. Maybe we can open our homes to other people. Maybe we can be involved in global missions because of how God's blessed us. And I'll be honest with you, that can get exhausting. It can get exhausting to live like this. It can get discouraging to live like this. But I want you to notice the other thing that this text tells us about the rhythms of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus abides in the Father. Jesus abides in the Father. Verse 35 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed very early while it was still dark in the morning he went to be alone with God the tradition is that this is in the ridge of the hills of west of the village verse 36 says Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him everyone is looking for you I mean Peter's words almost sound like a rebuke here and the reality is When we try to spend this kind of time with God alone, there's going to be emails. There's going to be text. There's going to be needs of the family. There's going to be things to be done in our house. But we have to decide that time with the Father is a priority. 
Luke says in verse 15 and 16 of chapter 5, but now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmity. So people are coming to be heard, um, excuse me, to hear Jesus and to be healed by Jesus. But look at what verse 16 says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He would leave the demands of a life of ministry to spend time with the Father in the morning. This is a priority if we want to live the kind of life that Jesus has called us to live. I, for me, I, have to, I wake up in the morning an hour before I think anybody else is going to wake up and I do this. Often people have told me, you're a morning person. No, I'm just to get up an hour early so that I'm happy when I see you an hour later person. <laughs> Rest and solitude in God is a gift that he gives us when we are pouring ourselves out in ministry. It's fasting from people and expectations and work. And it needs to be a routine. It needs to be a part of our rhythms. Now, it's not a life of solitude or an activity. With respect to people who think they're called to a life of solitude and activity, I will say they are misguided. That is not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to live a life on mission. And he calls us to be present in the interruption of needs. And he abides in the Father and he calls us to do the same. Now, if you're not serving people, I'll just be honest, you don't really get this tension. But understand, if we're following Jesus, we, we should be servants always. Mark 10, 45 says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So if Jesus didn't come saying, I deserve to be served, I think we don't deserve that either. We should be servants in every relationship we have. And when we are, we need to abide in the Father. Now, our world has got confused about what we need. And they call it self-care. And what I'm saying to you is you don't need self-care, you need God-care. That's cheesy, but it's true. God needs to define this. Now, self-care is like, I'm gonna go get my hair done and get a massage and go to the beach. And let me just say this, get your hair done, go to the massage, get a massage and go to the beach. I don't care. But don't think by going on vacation and going to get a massage that you're going to be fueled for a life of ministry. Because we can do all those things without God. Now, you might go on vacation and spend time with the Lord. You might go to the beach, and that's where you spend time with the Lord. That's fine. I'm, I don't care how you do this. I'm not telling you how to do this. But you need time with the Father. In the Word, learning from Him. Now, you might say, so, so what, is, what is that doing? Like, Because if I just read the Bible every day, like, I don't necessarily get this. Well, I want you to understand what Jesus was doing. And to understand what Jesus was doing, we need to go back in Mark. We're still in Mark chapter one, so it's not that far back to when Jesus was baptized. So Jesus begins his ministry. And I just wanna read what Mark chapter one, verse nine through 11 says. It says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Before Jesus taught anything, before 
Jesus preached the kingdom of God. Before Jesus casted out a demon, before Jesus healed people, before Jesus suffered, the Father said to Jesus, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. When we come to the Father by the mercies of God, we become sons and daughters of God. That is a position we hold and are given. It cannot be earned. It is given to us. And regardless of how many people you lead to Christ and how well you do at living your life intentionally on mission and how you're doing at crushing the parent thing and how involved you are in your church and how much you give to your church and how much you serve in other things, before all that, when you come to God, you are his beloved son and daughter and in you he is well pleased abiding in the father is remembering that we don't earn that it's given to us and that just like my children don't earn my love in a greater sense the father loves us unconditionally and christianity the life on mission, the grind of following Jesus is a response to that. It's a response to that. And so what we're gonna do now is I just, I just want us to take a few moments and just abide in this together. And I want us to put any feelings of, of worth in God's eyes because of our actions and our performance just put, that's gone. Our worth in God's eyes is because we're his sons and daughters. And I just pray you know that. And maybe today, it's the first time you know that. We have a position as sons and daughters of God because of the work of Christ on the cross, because he put himself in our place. It's a free gift given to us. And maybe you've been trying to earn it and today you just need the first, for the first time in your life, respond to that. But Christians, may our joy and may our source be of life and what we do be found in that. Jesus said to his disciples when they came back from casting out demons, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that you cast out, have authority to cast out demons and tread on serpents, but rejoice that your name is in the book of life. That's our joy. That's the source of our strength. Pray with me. God, I do pray that you help me in this moment to realize that I will struggle I will be out of balance. I will mess up. I will fall. But in Christ, I am your son 
There are those in this room who are your daughters in whom you are well pleased. And may we feel the love of our Heavenly Father now. I pray this in Jesus' name.